I don't know if you guys are going to be able to believe this or not, but I wasn't able to sleep a wink last night. I've been full of such great expectation for this day. The truth is that for me, this day is two years in the making. I've been dreaming about this day for two years. But I want for you to hold this idea in your mind tonight. Jesus has been dreaming about this day for 2,000. In Jesus' heart, he has had this sense of expectation for what would happen if his people caught a vision for his great commission. Today is so exciting, right? It's Vision Sunday. We are leaning into the future. We're hearing about the dream that God has in his heart for his church. There's so much happening, so much going on. There's this sense of expectation that is building in the room for what's coming up and for what's ahead. And, and really today is the start of 10 weeks for the next 10 weeks, we are going to be leaning into this idea together. And so tonight's not the end of the journey. Tonight's the beginning of the journey. For the next 10 weeks, we are going to be talking about a 10-year vision that we believe Jesus has given us as a church. And I want for you to know that our team has been in the lab for the last two years preparing this thing. For two years, we've been thinking about this. For two years, we've been debating over this. For two years, we've been praying and planning and refining and clarifying this vision that you're gonna hear about tonight. Two years of picking it apart with other pastors. Two years of evaluating it biblically. Two years of thinking about how we're going to do it and whether or not it's even possible for us to pull this thing off. And I just want you to know tonight that without a mighty move of God in every single one of you, there ain't no way that we can. It is going to take all of us with arms locked together to be able to see this come to fruition, but I've been thinking about it for two years. And then some of you, you're like brand new, you came in tonight and you're like digging the music and you're like, that was an inspiring video, but there's this part of your subconscious that's going, what are we talking about? Like, what is everybody so excited about? Why is there so much expectation in the room tonight? And what we're talking about tonight, it's not just a vision for our church, but a vision for your life. I want to give you tonight a vision for the way that you could spend the next 10 years of your life. I want to help you not be tossed to and fro by culture. I wanna help you from wandering and meandering through this life with no direction and no anchor, no target, no goal, no vision. Because the truth is, is that every single day, there are a million different voices that are vying for our attention and our affection with every swipe and every scroll. There's somebody selling you a vision for your life. Somebody telling you that if you upgrade this or if you take this course, that you'll be some social media influencer. And if you just subscribe for $9.99, then you'll be a millionaire next month. And so everybody's trying to sell you this vision. And so you're constantly changing direction, constantly pivoting, constantly shifting, constantly looking to a different career, or another uh, self-help or a real quick fix. But what if there was something tonight that could grab a hold of your heart, that could anchor your soul, that could set your sails and put you in a direction of meaning, in a direction of purpose, in a direction of impact, in a direction of actually what you were created for. Tonight, I'm not just talking about a vision for our church for the next 10 years, I'm talking about a vision for your life, for something that'll give you a reason to wake up out of bed every morning, for something that'll help you keep on walking when you face the dark night of the soul, for something that's worth giving your whole life to, for something that's bigger than the American dream, 
for something that's bigger than what you can count in a bank account, for something bigger than you can measure with followers on social media, something that's worth living for, it's worth dying for, it's worth giving everything for. I want to give you a vision for your life tonight. You know, vision, if you don't know what it is, vision is what could be or should be in light of what currently is. That's vision. We all know somebody who has vision. Entrepreneurs have vision. Artists have vision. Sculptors have vision. When an artist sees a blank canvas, they don't just see a white sheet of paper. They see a masterpiece. When a sculptor looks at a a, a lump of clay, they don't just see some form of a rock. They see a statue. When a designer walks into a room, they don't just see walls that are put up. Beyond the sheetrock, they see infinite possibilities in an open concept. And tonight, that's what I want to give to you. I want to show you the masterpiece that your life could be. I want to tear down the walls that have been imprisoning your life and help you dream with wild possibility for what the creator of the universe might want to do in and through your surrendered life. Vision is what could be and what should be in light of what currently is. So what currently is, what could be, what should be in your life tonight? You know, in order for us to really cast a compelling vision, we need a compelling problem. There has to be some problem that we're trying to solve, something that's broken that we're trying to fix. And so I want to tell you about the problem that we're facing today. And it's not just a problem that the church is facing. It's a problem that our world is facing. It's a problem that humanity is facing. The problem that we're facing is one that you deeply feel in your soul, one that you might not have words for yet, you might not be able to articulate, but in your subconscious, in your internal monologue, you sense it, you see it, you feel it all of the time. The problem that we're not talking about tonight, it's not just an Elevate City problem, it's an Emily problem, and an Eric problem, and an Ethan problem. It's a problem that people, people all over the world are experiencing right now. And you see it, you see it on the news, you see it on social, you see it, you, you hear about it when you're in the office or when you're at work or when you're talking with your friends and you, you feel the pressure of it sitting on your chest as you're trying to fall asleep at night. The problem is that Christianity as we practice it in the West is failing. And as a result, the world is falling apart. Let me say that again so it can pierce through your soul. The problem, the very clear problem that I see and that I think at the end of the night you will too, is that Christianity as we practice it in the West is failing and as a result, the world is falling apart. Do you know how Christianity was supposed to operate? Was this, was this it? Was this God's grand vision for his church? People in rows singing songs, people showing up and buildings for a pep rally once a week and then just going on with the rest of their lives. Was that God's grand vision for his people, the church? Or was there something more? In Matthew chapter 28, Mike read it earlier, but let me tell you what Christianity is supposed to be. Jesus came to them. And this is Jesus coming to them after he has lived a life of perfection. He's fulfilled prophecy and done miracles. He's cast out demons. He's proved to be the son of God. And he has died a vicarious death on a cross. He had his body ripped apart in front of the Roman empire. He died as a sacrifice, as the lamb of God for you and me to take away the sin of the world. He died in our place to get us back into a right relationship with God. If you don't know the story, it's called the gospel. It's the most beautiful story that's ever been told and it's true. 
that you and I, we've been separated from our creator, the maker of heaven and earth. He loves us, adores us, desperately wants relationship with us. But in our sin, we rebelled against him, turned away from him, said, I will try life without you. I will pursue the things that you've created instead of walking in relationship with my creator. And that has sabotaged the human race. The reason that there are wars and that there's murders and that there's locks on doors and police officers and ambulances is because of this thing called sin. It ravages your life. And it's this lie. It's this cancer that makes its way inside of your mind that tells you that if you follow your heart, you'll find happiness. How's that going for you? We're a generation that has been raised by the Disney Channel that has followed our heart. You know what it's led to? Depression, anxiety, suicide. And so God, in his great mercy, while we were dead in sin, sent Jesus to make us alive in him. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the great exchange. Jesus' righteousness for our sinfulness so that we could step in and be heirs of God. And 2,000 years ago, 1,990 years ago. Jesus went to Calvary for you and me. And if you've never heard that, let me be the first person who tells you tonight, God died for you so that you could live with him. It's the offer of the gospel and it's free, it's grace. It's an offer if you would just reach out tonight and receive it, if you would take it as your own, if you would make it the central truth of your life. After Jesus accomplished all of that, he died on that cross, but the best news is that he got up three days later. And he proved to be the son of God and he offered new eternal life for all who believe. And right before he ascended into heaven, he stood on a mountain with 12 men who had followed him around, who had watched his life, who had heard his teachings. And he said, what you've seen from me, go and do this with other people. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' great vision is that those of us who have encountered him, who really know his love, would determine that it is too good to keep to ourselves. And so we would have our lives formed into the image of Jesus and we would say, I am a domino and as the gospel hits my life it must hit another life who hits another life who hits another life and that was Jesus great vision and the massive problem is that you and I have taken Jesus's great commission and we have watered it down into the great suggestion we have reduced the great commission the last words that the creator of all that is spoke before he ascended into heaven his final verdict the last words out of his mouth, the thing that he wanted us to remember, go and make disciples every moment of every second, of every single hour, of every single day. Use your life so that other lives could be transformed by the good news of who I am. Embrace life with me and for me and walking alongside me. Teach people to be like little me's everywhere that you go. It's not just a Sunday thing, it's an everyday thing. And you and I have taken that great commission and we have turned it into the great suggestion. And do you know why this is such a big problem? This is such a big problem for you and me because life is short, hell is long, sin is a cancer, Jesus offers true life, but there are billions who don't know. Billions who don't know. 3.5 billion people who live in places where they will never know. 
no access to the gospel, no Bible, no church, no Jesus follower, no one to tell them. They've never even heard about the one name that is above every name. And they never will. They will be born, live, and die in their sin. Because no one is going to tell them. Because you and I, we have reduced the great commission into the great suggestion. And I just wonder what is going to happen on that day when the last thing that he told us is the first thing that he wants to talk to us about. What's going to happen when we stand before him? And he looks, he rolls the tape at what you and I did with our 80 years on this planet. And we've got to make sense of it in light of these words that he's told us. But you know, it's not just a problem about that day that we stand before him. It's costing you real life, eternal life, true life right now. You see, when we reduce down the great commission to the great suggestion and we just go through the motions of playing the game of church and not really engaging with Jesus in this call of discipleship, you are emptying yourself of the greatest adventure that you could ever know. You see, when Jesus invited these young boys, these young Jewish boys to come and to follow him in Matthew chapter four, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that invitation speaks to the two longings in every human heart. You feel it and I feel it. It's aching in your heart right now. Do you know what the two longings that you're wrestling with all the time? The two questions that you're trying to answer with every outfit change and every job change and every upgrade and every post, every selfie, every, every relationship, every posture, everything that you say to try to sound smart or look cool or fit in. Do you know the two questions you're trying to answer? Every scroll through a job board, every time you try to impress someone, do you know what you're trying to answer? You're trying to answer these two questions. Who am I? Who in the world am I? What makes me, me? Where does my identity come from? I don't know who I am, so I'm just looking for everybody or anyone to tell me who I am. And then the second question is this, why do I exist? Why am I here on planet Earth? Am I just here to make money? Am I just here to take up oxygen? Am I just here to go through the motions of life? Or am I here for something more? And Jesus says, come follow me. You can be my disciple, my Son, you can be a part, my daughter, you can be a part of my family, and I will make you fishers of people. I will show you the reason that you exist to introduce people to my love. And you and I miss out on the adventure of a lifetime. Think about what happened to these young boys. These young boys who would have lived their entire life in the same town of Galilee, they would have worked the same docks and stood on the same boats and cast the same lines. They would be in the same food and heard the same stories and sing the same songs with their parents all the days of their life. But they sign up to follow Jesus and their feet start to walk in the dust of their rabbi, doing what he did, living how he lived, loving who he loved. And it takes them to the ends of the earth. They leave the middle of nowhere and they go everywhere all over the planet on the adventure of a lifetime. See water get turned into a wine. See a little lunchable feed 5,000 people. They see dead people get up out of the grave and walk and they see somebody who died on Calvary resurrect from the grave. All because they said yes to this invitation of stepping into the Great Commission. So tonight, I wonder if you understand the devastating effect that us acting like Jesus' great commission is just a great suggestion is having on our world today. I wanna to show you a chart real quick that if you love Jesus, if you trust the Bible, if you believe in heaven and hell, then it should really break your heart. Check out this chart. So 
1939, Gallup, which is a massive surveying company, they started to measure church attendance. And you can see for roughly about six decades, the average amount of pe people in the United States of America who actively attended church was roughly 70% for six decades. But something happened in the year 2000. At the year 2000, it started to plummet at an alarming rate. And today, 47% of people in America are actively attending churches today. 47, for six decades, roughly 70%. And at the year 2000, it begins to drop. And today it is 47% in church. I want for you to know that happened on our watch. That happened while we were in the driver's seat. That happened while we were at the helm. That happened while we were on planet earth. And I just feel this ache in my soul going, what's gonna happen when Jesus shows me this chart? He says, talk to me. What were we doing? What were we chasing? What was the focus? What was the purpose of your life? 40 million Americans have, have stopped attending church in the last 25 years. That's roughly 12% of the population. It represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. I told you a couple of weeks ago that a conventional, uh, conventional comfortable American Christianity is failing and I was gonna show you charts and graphs to prove it. There's your chart. It's not working. We're going in the wrong direction. In case that doesn't feel urgent enough, let me help you. In 1972, 90% of the population identified as Christian. In 2020, it was down to 64%. So I get that just because someone goes to church doesn't make them a Christian. But do you know what I know is true? Nobody who doesn't identify as a Christian actually is one. And so there are there's a massive drop of even those who would say that they're Christians. That is declining at an alarming rate. Four out of five Americans do not believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. 96% of Christians have never shared their faith with another individual. Because you and I turn the great commission into the great suggestion. There's a meme that's going around right now that I absolutely love. It says, uh, if Paul was writing to the American church, you and I would be getting a letter. I just wonder what's gonna happen when the last thing Jesus told us is the first thing that Jesus wants to talk to us about. Okay, maybe that's not creating enough urgency in you, so don't worry, I've got another chart. Pew Research created four statistical projection models. You'll see them up there on the screen. And in every single one of them, the amount of people in America who are unaffiliated with religion exceeded the number of Christians by the year 2070. In every single projection, so look right at me. You feel like a minority right now, you just wait. You feel like your understanding of truth and sex and politics and right and wrong and justice and morality, you feel like you're in the minority right now, you just wait. Because I want for you to know a great majority is we're still gonna be alive when that's happening. You're not gonna be the majority. You're not gonna be in the silent majority. You're going to be in the actual minority. Now, you may be going, okay, Joe, you're, you're talking a lot about church attendance and like these like Christian things. And I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Like, why should I care about that tonight? 
I don't even know if I believe in any of this stuff. Why does this matter to me? Oh, let me show you. So I just want for you to remember that chart that was dropping like this with church attendance. Around the year, you know, from 1939 till 19, or till 2000, holds pretty steady, and then just massive drop at the year 2000. You, You remember that? Now, let me show you this other chart, which is a chart of depression in the United States of America. Oh, what a coincidence. The chart is going in the opposite direction. So let me just give you some statistics that kind of back this up and that articulate this big idea right here. In America, depression rates since the year 2000 have increased by 60%. Antidepressant use has increased by 35% in just the last six years. The suicide rate has gone up by 60% in youth and young adults. Do you have a vision for it? As discipleship goes down, everything else that's broken goes up. Because you and I have taken Jesus' great commission and we've turned it into the great suggestion. So faith has become shallow, truth has become relative. We're overly sexualized, completely distracted, totally anxious, bored out of our minds and entertaining ourselves to death. Well, now that I've got you all totally bummed out on a Vision Sunday, where do we go from here. What's the 10 year vision? What's the solution? What's the big idea? You know, there's like tremendous pressure being a pastor or a preacher on a day like today. A day when you're talking about a 10 year vision. Can you think for a second just about how long 10 years is for your church? Like I started thinking about it in uh, 10 years from now, my wife Kayla and I will have been married for over 20 years, which means we'll likely look like this. <laughs> which baby girl, if that's how you age, I'm in luck, okay? <laughs> you are in trouble, but I am in luck if that's how you age. But in 10 years, that's, that's just wild for me to think. I mean, we're high school sweethearts, but in 10 years, we'll be married more than 20 years. Started thinking about this, in 10 years, my six-year-old will be 16 and driving. Her feet can't even touch the ground, but you can kind of see in her face that I'm in trouble when they can. In 10 years, my six-year-old will be 16 and driving. In 10 years, my my, uh, two-year-old will be 12. In 10 years, my one-year-old will be 11. Many of your lives and jobs and families will look radically different 10 years from now. 10 years is such a long time. But it's not just because of how long 10 years is that I feel pressure casting a 10-year vision for today. It's because of how much changes in 10 years. Like just think about how much has changed in the world over the last 10 years. This is a picture of life from 2013. Check this out. If you can just remember back to life in 2013, let's hop in the DeLorean, go back to that time, remember the days. Vine was the hot social media app. Any Vine users in the house tonight? Everyone was doing the Harlem Shake. Y'all remember those videos? Back in 2013, Candy Crush was the hot game to play. Apple had just released the iPhone 5. Aren't we on that like iPhone 59 right now? 10 years ago, it was the iPhone 5. 10 years ago, Paul Walker drove a little bit too fast, too furious. Is that too soon? That's too, it's too soon. Yeah, I knew, I knew it would be. Some of, y'all, some of y'all just got it. You're like, oh man, that's a bummer. 
10 years ago, The Office just aired its final season. And 10 years ago, Macklemore's Thrift Shop was the hot song of the year. Now, I showed someone this presentation and they go, bro, I think that might be what you're gonna look like 10 years from now. <laughs> and I was like, calm down. <laughs> okay, you need to calm down. I rebuke that in the name of the Lord Jesus, Satan, get behind me. <laughs> now, I want for you to try to imagine 10 years into the future. I want for you to imagine how much the world will change. Technology advancing at the speed of light, information doubling every minute. Will we have flying cars? Jesse, will we? Will we be there yet? Will we be on Mars? Will Nick Saban still be coaching Alabama football? Not after today. <laughs> so much feels uncertain. So much feels unpredictable. Who will win the next election? Will there be another pandemic? What will happen to the American economy? Will China surpass the US? Will home prices ever stabilize? Will there be a crash in the stock market? It feels so crazy to stand up before you tonight and somehow convince you that I could cast a vision for 10 years. But here we are, standing at this great intersection of the past and the future, dreaming about what is going to happen and it just feels foolish. It feels impossible to tell you that I could somehow see it or that we would be able to engineer it unless, unless, unless the vision that we're talking about tonight is not mine, but the one who knows the end from the beginning. Unless the vision of tonight isn't Joey's idea, but it's God's idea. It's not something that came up with, that we came up with in a laboratory or in a meeting, but that was birthed in heaven that came from the heart of the Lord and that Jesus promises to be faithful to build. And if you have your Bibles, flip over to Revelation chapter seven really quick. I wanna take you to the end of the story and then I wanna go back to the beginning of the story and then I wanna position us in the middle of the story right where we are tonight to see that the dream in God's heart from the very beginning all the way to the end has been for us to be this kind of movement. In Revelation seven, Someone asks John the Apostle a question that I want to ask you tonight. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That is where all of human history is headed. I just want for you to know we know the end of the story. In the end, Jesus is going to win. There's so much that's gonna happen in between, but we know that that's where all of human history is headed. And there's going to be this great throne and there are gonna be multitudes from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group who have, who've seen it, who've caught a vision for Jesus is my one obsession. He is so beautiful, so worthy, so totally worth giving the whole of my life for. And we're going to worship him for all of eternity. That is where all of human history is headed. Every false God will be made low. Every lie will be revealed. Every vain pursuit will be burned up and unceasing worship will happen forever. Verse nine, they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne into the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. Now watch what happens next. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? 
and where did they come from? That's the question. These in white robes, these from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group, who are, who are they? And where did they come from? How did we get from 12 Jewish boys on a mountain to people from every single nation? Who are they and where did they come from? How do we get to the great eternal vision that we all so ache for in our heart? Where death has died, tears are wiped away, sin is no more, and the creation is back with their creator forever. How do we get there? Look right at me. We multiply. We multiply. We multiply. We become disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. You want a vision for your life? It's to be a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. I'm saying it loud because I want you to hear it in your dreams tonight. I am a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. I'm not a convert. I'm not a church attender. I don't just check Christian on Facebook. I don't just casually go to church when it's convenient. I am a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. And when you catch that vision for your life, you bring the great dream of humanity to fruition. This has been God's design from the very beginning. God told us way back in the beginning. Let me show you, flip all the way now back to the beginning of the story. Go to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. Genesis 1.27 says this. God's hidden it from the very beginning. This, this, this was his play. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, give me that word and. Now, God often gets a bad rap. In our modern context today, God gets such a bad rap. We all think that God's default answer is no. Fun, no. Progress, no. Happy time, no. Adventure, no. God gets such a bad rap. We just think that he's like the cosmic killjoy in the sky. Something fun, no. It's like literally like a little ounce of joy. Shut it down, Peter. But if you look at creation, if you look at the Genesis narrative, God's default answer is not no, it's yes. It's not stop, it's go. It's not pause, it's pursue. Go and multiply. Make disciples, multiply, fill this world with my image, create these little image bearers that will reflect my glory to the rest of the world. And do you know what I just love? Like his original way of doing it was sex. Like how good is God? Like today, I'll be honest, it's a little watered down because today we like do it with like Bible studies and stuff. But originally he was like, yeah, I want, like I want to multiply and I'm gonna make it like the best way possible. Like how good is God, okay? That was a weird little tangent, but I wanted to hide that in your mind real quick. The first thing that God said to us in Eden was not no, but yes. It wasn't stop, but go. It wasn't a parameter. It was a purpose. This is the design. This is God's heartbeat. No matter how bad things get, this is God's great dream for humanity. Not that we would keep things to ourselves and play it safe and be shy and hold it in and be casual, but that we would multiply, that we would populate, that we would spread. This has been his, this has been his dream. No matter how bad things get, it's still this play. It doesn't matter what time in human history, technology, no technology, really sinful, really righteous. Lots of people following God, nobody following God. His vision is to multiply. So things get bad in the biblical narrative, right? Like bad, bad, like really bad, like Noah bad. Days of Noah, everyone's wicked and evil bad. God's gotta flood everyone and kill everyone bad. And yet at the end of that story, 
Do you know what God's play is? Genesis chapter nine, verse one, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, give me the word. It's the promise God made to Abraham. Remember the one from Vacation Bible School who had many sons, many sons. All right, there's like a, not a lot of y'all that can sing it, which means you didn't grow up in church, hallelujah, okay? But this is what God said to Abraham. God, he said, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the sea, seashore. So he told it to Adam, he said it to Noah, he said it to Abraham, you know, it's how we got Jesus. Genesis chapter 35, verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body and all throughout the Old Testament, through the Exodus and in the wilderness and in, in and out of the promised land. The call is to multiply. It started in Eden and 1,990 years ago, Jesus reignited it on a mountain. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And some of you are right there tonight you are doubting. You're doubting that this is worth giving your life for. You're doubting that this is the reason that you're on the planet. And I just want to plead with you to not doubt, but to pull you into faith tonight and to know that this is why you're in the room and this is why you exist. And this is what you've been waiting for. This is what you've been aching for. This is what you've been dreaming of is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And that's what they did. If you wanna know how we got to where we are today, why you are sitting in this row, why you've heard the gospel, why we're standing in a service like this is because they actually took this seriously. And they multiplied. Acts chapter six, verse seven, and the word of God continued to decrease and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 9, 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Give it to me. Multiply. But the word of God increased and multiplied. That's the vision. Multiply until multitudes of people from every city and every neighborhood and every tribe and every tongue, let me make it real for you, in every country and every color and every doubt, and every shame and every sin and every baggage and every hurt and every pain are a part of the family of Jesus. How did Christianity manage to thrive in the first, second and third century when it was illegal? when they were outcasts, when it was this rogue backwoods, no influence kind of movement, when they had to use secret code words to survive, when they had no organizational denominations, when they didn't have the internet or any sort of structures, when there was no clergy, they didn't even yet have the Bible. All they had was the power of the Holy Spirit, the great commission from Jesus and a mindset to multiply. And this little small movement dominates the world, gets into every little crack and crevice of the Roman Empire because every single person saw themselves as a disciple maker. You know, one of the moments that history changed was when Steve Jobs put an iPhone in the hands of every person. And if you go back and you watch the, the, the day that he does it, he rolls it out and he says, today we're going to reinvent the phone. But the truth is that day he didn't just reinvent the phone, he reinvented the world. 
The world as we know it has never been the same. And I want for you to know that if something happens tonight where discipleship would get put back in the hands of everyday Christians, it would not just change the way that you see church or it would not just see the way, change the way that you see Christianity. It would change the way you see the world. And it would change the way that you see your life. And it would change the reason that you exist. It would change everything. You know, discipleship changes the world. Discipleship changes the world. There's no doubt about it. If you are worried tonight about what kind of world your kids will grow up in, make disciples. If you are worried about the sexual ethic in our country, make disciples. If you're worried about the economy, make disciples. If you're worried about who's gonna get elected president next, make disciples. Discipleship will change the world. I want for you to know tonight that the world is not looking for a new definition of Christianity. They are looking for a new demonstration of Christianity, of everyday revolutionaries who actually take this stuff seriously and don't act like it's just a social club on Sunday. Every single person seeing themselves as a disciple maker, that's how we're gonna change the world. There's this great unverified story of John F. Kennedy. And John F. Kennedy supposedly made this trip to Kennedy Space, what would become Kennedy uh, Space Center. And when he was there, he was walking around and he saw a guy dressed in a jumpsuit and looked like a janitor. And he walked up to him and he said, sir, what do you do here? He said, well, Mr. President, I, I just needed a job and they offered me a job. And so I'm a janitor here and that's what I'm doing. Thanks for your service. He goes down the hallway and he sees another guy dressed the same way. And he says, hey, what do you do here? And he says, I just sweep the floors. This is what I do. I just, I just sweep the floors. And President Kennedy looks at him. He says, well, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for your service. And he goes down the hallway a little bit further. And he sees one, one other guy dressed the same way. And he walks up to him in the same question, sir, what do you do here? He looks right back at President John F. Kennedy. And he says, Mr. President, I'm here to help put a man on the moon. That's why I'm here. And I just want for you to know tonight that you're not here on accident, that you're not here to just exist. You're not here to just go through the motions. You are here to help multiply so that the multitudes get before the throne of God. Do you know what's greater than putting a man on the moon? It is getting souls into heaven. It is making sure that lost people get found, that blind people start to see, and that dead people start to come alive. That's what you're doing here. That's the reason that you're alive. One day, King Jesus is going to ask you and he's going to ask me, what did you do with your one sweet life that I gave you? I'm praying that it's this. I just want you to know we've been preparing you for this Elevate City. Like you thought that I forgot about it, but I'm going to bring it back. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, if you'll remember this. Back in our Resilient series on Easter, I told you to circle something in your Bible. So flip there because we gave all of you free Bibles just so that you would circle this so that I could bring you back to this moment right here, right now. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. We've been doing what we can to see grace and peace multiplied in you so that you could go and multiply it into other people. So why now, Joey? Why are we doing it right now? Why is this a play right now? Well, because 2033 will be the 2000 year anniversary of Jesus' Great Commission mandate. I want you to come with me on this for a second, okay? So 
if Jesus was born at zero and he lived 33 years and so he died at 33 AD. Now, I know for you like Bible nerds and theologians, you're like, wait a second. He was probably born more like at 4 AD or 6 AD. Go to a different church, okay? <laughs> Come with the visionaries for a second, all right? If he was born at zero and he died at 33, then 2033 will be the 2000 year anniversary of him giving us this great commission mandate. So we are 1,990 years. We're 10 years away from that day. And it's gonna be another thousand years before we've got another date that's this cool, okay? And so we wanna run hard with reckless abandon to fulfill the great commission in our generation to say, Jesus, do it in us, do it right now and do it for your glory. So what is it? How are we gonna do it? You guys wanna see the vision? Watch this. We pray that in 2033, this can be said of our church. To know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same is our greatest passion. In eager anticipation of the 2000 year anniversary of the Great Commission, we've multiplied. We've become a nonstop house of prayer who truly believes His presence is better than life. We've ignited a disciple-making movement with a culture of deep spiritual formation across every life stage that's full of grace and truth. Who's Your Three is now common language. Our cities have heard about the beauty of Jesus. As evidenced by the 344,869 bold gospel conversations. We've celebrated 365 baptisms every year. As Jesus adds to our number day by day, those who are being saved. Fully dependent on the spirit of Jesus. Darkness is pushed back. And the kingdom of light is advancing. People are being loved. The poor are being served and the prisoners are being set free in Jesus' name. We have gone to the nations. We've engaged five unreached people groups and sent 100 mission trips around the world. We've impacted the Nalgen with over 100,000 kids and students experiencing Jesus at camp. We've equipped the saints for ministry with over 100 future leaders trained through our leadership development program. We've become a movement of 10 campuses and church plants that are Jesus-centered, discipleship-driven, and transformation-focused houses of worship. And we've generously given whatever it takes to see Jesus' Great Commission realized and live into a story way bigger than ourselves. We have songs that tell our story, some scars from the journey, but so much joy in our hearts because we know, we know, we know, we know, we know Jesus is infinitely worth it. At the end of tonight, on your way out, you're gonna get a vision guidebook and it's gonna have a copy of that letter in it. But this is a 10-year vision that is a 10-pronged approach that's gonna have 10 different initiatives that we're gonna run after for the next 10 years as a church. But I want for you to know, I really am trying to get this in your mind and in your soul tonight. This isn't just an organizational thing or an institutional thing. I want this to be your thing. I want for you to see that this is what Jesus wants for you, created you for, designed you for. It's his dream and his heart for you that when you step into this, that purpose is unleashed and adventure happens and joy starts to come out, that this is why you were designed and this is why you're so unsatisfied and why you're so bored and why you're constantly looking for the next high and the next itch is because you were wired for this, destined for this, purposed for this. And until you give your life to something like this, you will live a small life 
It will never be what you long and desire for it to be. So really quickly, I want to run through these 10 initiatives with you. I'm going to put them before you tonight so that you can catch a quick vision for them. But this is what we're going to spend the next 10 weeks doing, okay? So just prepare yourself. Just keep coming back because you're going to see these these, these 10 things every week. We're going to walk through them in detail. So I'm going to walk through them really quickly tonight. Okay, so the first one is this. It's going to start with us becoming a nonstop house of prayer. Let me hear you say house of prayer. I'm determined to give my life over the next 10 years to convince you that Jesus' presence is better than life. I'm gonna teach you that the secret place is the most powerful place, that what happens when we pray is that God responds, that he hears the prayers of his people. Prayer is going to move from becoming an ethereal thing and an abstract thing to a concrete thing. Prayer is going to become a way of life. It is going to become powerful for us. Then we're gonna see that as we pray, as we really unite to become a people, we're gonna pray like we've never prayed before. We're going to become so serious about prayer. Prayer is going to become our native language because prayer moves the heart of God. And as we do, we're going to see God answer powerful prayers, prayers of healing, prayers of faith, prayers of expectation. It is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal 10 years as, as we learn that his presence is truly better than life. Number two is we are going to start a... Uh, a multiplying movement of disciples, and we're gonna see 10,000 disciple makers trained through EquipX. Let me hear you say EquipX. What EquipX is going to be is EquipX is going to be a year-long spiritual formation journey. You, in January, we're going to launch this. How many of you have been through Equip? How many of you have been through Equip? Come on. How many of you would say Equip has changed your life? Can you make some noise if Equip has changed the way that you see discipleship? EquipX is the evolution of Equip, and you are going to go on a year-long formation journey. It's going to teach you to know Jesus like you've never known him before, follow him at a deeper level, and really position you to multiply your life to be a disciple maker. We're rolling that out in January, and it is going to form you deeper than you've ever been formed before. It will launch you into the greatest season of spiritual growth that you've experienced. I really believe it. In over 10 years, we're going to see 10,000 people go through that year-long deeply formed discipleship journey. Initiative number three is we are going to preach the gospel, share the gospel. We're going to have 344,869 bold gospel conversations. Let me hear you say gospel. Listen, we believe that the gospel is still powerful, that sin is still real, that hell is still some people's destiny, but the gospel has the power to save. And so that number, it may just seem abstract and random, but it is the number of every, of, uh, it is the total population of people in Sandy Springs and Roswell and Johns Creek and Milton and Canton and coming all the surrounding communities around our t- current two campuses. That makes up the population. And we just want to guarantee that we give the next 10 years so that every one of them hears about the beautiful story of Jesus, the life-saving message. Initiative number four is we are gonna make a commitment. I'm sorry, yeah, we're gonna see 365 baptisms happen annually. How awesome was that story of baptism tonight? Bro, when you got up and you said, let's go! I was so jacked. And I can't wait to see that happen 364 more times this year and every single year as people experience the beauty of having their life be found in Jesus. Initiative number five, we're going to make a commitment to serve the poor, the prisoner, and the orphan. We cannot have a 10-year vision without a vision for the people that Jesus saw. Amen? We're going to see the lost, the broken, the refugee, the orphan, the single mom, the addict, those people who are broken. We are going to step in and meet them in powerful and profound ways. Initiative number six. We've gone to the nations. We've engaged five unreached people groups, planted five international churches, and sent 100 mission trips around the world. 
there are people, as we've talked about tonight and in that video, who live in countries that are close to the gospel. Well, we are going to be CIA 007, secret agent missionaries for Jesus. And we are going to run into places that people are running out of. We're gonna take the light of Jesus into the darkest places of the world. Does that make anybody else excited tonight? That we are going to not allow people to be born, live, and die without hearing this good news. We're gonna engage five unreached people groups. It's gonna be costly. It's gonna be difficult. Some of you are gonna pack your bags and you're gonna move to other countries to do it. And then we're going to plant five international churches. We're going to send a hundred mission trips around the, the world. We're going to make some noise for King Jesus in our generation. Initiative number seven, we're going to see a hundred thousand kids and students experience Jesus at camp. 94% of people who make a decision to follow Jesus do so before the age of 18. There is a kingdom spiritual window in the life of a person. And we want to capitalize on that time. Now, that is a big old number. So it's gonna take all of us pushing in the direction of caring about the next generation in order for us to do it. We're gonna see initiative number eight, 100 future ministry leaders trained through our leadership development program. This is going to ensure that the church of tomorrow is full of pastors and leaders who believe that, that we are people of a book, that our understanding of God is not formed by tradition or culture or our experience, but our understanding of God is formed by the word of God. It's our first source, our final authority, the greatest love story ever in, and the best part of it all, we're gonna ensure that the next generation of leaders believe that, teach that, that they love people, that they'll stand in the gap, that they won't compromise under culture, but they will carry the church forward. Initiative number nine, we are going to launch 10 campuses and or 10 church plants by the year of 2033. Guys, we are going to saturate our community. We're gonna make sure that there are places that are Jesus-centered, discipleship-driven, transformation-focused houses of worship. I want for you to imagine that in every corner of Metro Atlanta that there's a church like ours, and there's a place that you can invite your friends without reservation, a place that preaches the gospel without without apologies, a place where you know it's gonna be full of the spirit, where worship is going to be real, where the baptism waters are always moving, where you have nights of worship that are unexplainable, where prayers are getting answered, where culture is getting pushed back, where real deep transformation is happening, where equipped groups are multiplying. I want for you to imagine churches like that in every area. Listen, I know some of you guys, you're driving from Woodstock and from Canton and from coming. I want for you to know we're coming, okay? We are coming to saturate men Metro Atlanta with churches that are like ours so that we can see a multiplying movement of Jesus-centered, discipleship-driven, transformation-focused houses of worship. Yeah, you can celebrate that. And finally, we are going to become a sacrificially generous people who are willing to give whatever it costs to see this great commission vision realized. And according to my earliest calculations, it's roughly $63.7 million, so don't panic because God's not panicked. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the earth and all that is in it. He is a God of abundance and he's gonna pour it out on his people. You know, my heart tonight is for you to hear this invitation where you imagine yourself on that mountain with Jesus all over again. And he looks you in your eyes and he says all the authority all of the cosmos, all of the power of the oceans, of lightning, of thunder, of earthquakes, of the same power that spoke the galaxies into existence has been given to me. Look right at me, go and make disciples of all nations until every tongue, every tribe, every people group know how good I am. 
form them to live like me and walk like me and talk like me and see the world like me. Baptize them so that they can know the freedom and the life that's found in my name and teach them to go and to do the same. And I just, I wonder if tonight you might have a existential crisis, you might have a crossroads moment in your existence where you begin to contemplate who you are and what you're living for and whether or not it's actually working out. And you begin to recognize that this command of our resurrected King is preeminent above all things. Let me ask you tonight, what's the vision that you have for your life? How will you spend your days? What will you give the next 10 years to? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor. He was a martyr, he was a spy, and he was a disciple maker in the 1930s. And at 29 years old, in 1935, in the middle of Nazi Germany, Bonhoeffer started an underground seminary called Finkelwald that was committed to living in the ways of Jesus and developing disciple makers. Dietrich led one of the greatest disciple making movements of the last 100 years. Now I want for you to look. It's Dietrich right there in the middle. And look at him there with his ragtag group of disciples group of young people, their lives ahead of them, full of expectancy and hope that maybe God would do something through them and that maybe, just maybe, they'd change the world. In two and a half years, 67 disciple makers graduated from Finkelwald before it was shut down by the Gestapo. After those two and a half years, the disciples at Finkelwald were scattered all throughout Germany. For the next 10 years until Dietrich's execution in 1945, Bonhoeffer worked tirelessly to track the whereabouts of these disciples. He continued to invest in them and to keep this circle informed on the whereabouts of their brotherhood. So Bonhoeffer turned to these circular letters that he would send out around and it would pass from disciple to disciple to disciple. And what started with 67 over the course of these 10 years multiplied, regardless of who they lost in the war or who gave their life as a martyr, this list multiplied and went from 67 to 77 to 87 to 97 to 107, 117, 127, 137 and 47, all the way up to 157 people on this list of disciple makers all launched from this small group at Finkelwald. And of that 150, some were lost in the war as martyrs. Some started seminaries like Finkelwald. Some became pastors. Others carried on Bonhoeffer's legacy and they wrote biographies about his life. Some of them captured the teachings of that time and they turned it into books like Life Together and The Cost of Discipleship, books that have literally sold millions upon millions of copies it's literally touched the world, made disciples to the ends of the nations, all because of what started right here with this group of people at Finkelwald and their 10 years that they spent together. So I want for you to look at that picture and I want for you to study it and see what you see. I mean, I see in their faces joy and commitment. I see a sense of friendship and some sort of determination within them for what they will give their lives to and for who they will be 
But do you know what else I see in that picture? Something that every single one of them have in common. They're all gone. They're gone. They've breathed their last breath and they're no longer walking on planet Earth. You see, 10 years to us feels like so long, but in the scope of eternity, it is but a blink of an eye. We have such a short window to fulfill the great commission in our generation. And so what story will we tell? I wanna take a picture tonight. Because I believe that someday down the road, they might write a story about us. So there it is. The picture that maybe someday, maybe 10 years down the road, maybe 20 years down the road, maybe 100 years down the road, somebody will put up on a service much like on a screen at a service much like this and they will tell a story about a small group of people who are willing to commit to a singular great task of using our life to fulfill the great commission in our generation. I just wonder what will your life be on the other side of this picture? Because your life is but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. It is a mist. It vanishes as it appears. So what will you make of it? Will your life be full of distraction? Will your life be full of disappointment? Or will your life be full of making a difference for the King of Kings? Can I tell you tonight about a worthy life? Can I tell you tonight what's better than sitting on the beach and sipping mojitos? It's getting people on the seashores of heaven. Can I tell you tonight what's better than binge watching Netflix on a couch? It's hearing enter into the rest of your master forever. Can I tell you what's better tonight than building a big bank account and a better resume and traveling the world and crossing off your bucket list hearing well done my good and faithful servant. I just want for you to know tonight that you don't need a bucket list and neither do I. You don't need to travel all around and cross off sites. You've got all of eternity for that. So do I. I just wanna serve while I'm alive. I don't need position or prominence or platform and neither do you. You need to step into a purpose that's bigger than yourself. And you need to give your life to see the King of Kings bring his kingdom in our generation. I wanna see less suicides and less anxiety and less depression and more foster parents. I wanna see less church decline and more church increase. I wanna see less cultural saturation and more kingdom saturation. I wanna see languages that the Bible hasn't been translated in yet get translated into heart languages. I wanna see young revolutionaries determine that their life is too short and too precious to play it safe and to use it for themselves. But that they would say, here I am, Lord. You gave your all for me. So I'm all in, all that I have, because you're all that's gonna matter in the end. Come on, let's pray.
Same posture, open hands. Same posture that we started tonight. Let's end it tonight. Open hands. What will your story be? 10 years will come down to one decision. Does he have all of you? Are you all in tonight? Totally surrendered? Is your yes on the table? Are you ready to run after this? Are you tired of playing it safe? Jesus, would you be multiplied in us? You're so worthy. Jesus, I've added it up. I've counted the cost and I've decided to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus.